0: Now, notice what happened. Chapter 16 now of Judges, verse 1. Then went Samson to Gaza, and he saw there an harlot, and he went in under her. And it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson is come hither. And they compassed him in and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city, and were quiet all the night, saying, In the morning, when it's day, we shall kill him other words, they locked up the city, and they said, we'll get him in the morning. Samson lay till midnight, rose at midnight, and when he came and found the gates of the city locked, what did he do? He took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and went away with them, bar and all, and put them upon his shoulders, and carried them up to the top of a hill that's before Hebron. He sounds like a college student, doesn't he? It sounds like a prank of a teenager that he's doing. My, this boy Samson never did grow up. And all the time he's called to deliver Israel with this mighty power, and he's just using it for his own personal use. Notice now what happens. Verse 4, now we come to the story of Samson and Delilah. It came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. That's the story of Samson. That, my friend, is the downfall of Samson. That's the big failure in his life. That's the weak point in his life. He loved a woman. No man falls suddenly into sin. He does it gradually. It was discovered in the little town I was pastor of in Texas that there was a president, I guess he was, of the bank, and it was a small bank, but oh, he was outstanding. That man actually went with me to the jail to give out tracts and talk to the prisoners there, and one day he disappeared, <laughs> and I think he'd gone on vacation. All of a sudden, they began to miss money. It was gone. They couldn't believe that he did it. They tried to count for it every other way, but they couldn't. And finally, they decided he was the one, and they began to look for him because he didn't come back from vacation. That man finally committed suicide. And they found out it had been happening for years. No man falls all of a sudden in sin. And one of the greatest sins that destroys so many men today... Is he loved a woman? Is this a matter of sex? It's one of the things that's killing off a great many. And that was Samson's sin. Was that a sex? He loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and said, unto her entice him. See where his great strength lieth. And by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and we will give thee, every one of us, 1,100 pieces of silver. And you may be sure of one thing, she was more interested in 1,100 pieces of silver than she was interested in Samson. And so she begins now. I take it that Delilah was a woman that he never even tempted to marry at all. He began to kid with her in this case. Delilah said to Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein my great strength lieth, wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. Samson said unto her, If they bind me with seven green widths that are never dried, then shall I be weak and be as another man. He kids her at first, you see. And he begins to give her answers, but they're wrong answers. And so when he went to sleep, Why, she let them know, and they came up and bound him. And then she waked him up. She said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And boy, he broke that just as if it were thread, and his strength was not known. Now, verse 10 of chapter 16, And Delilah said unto Samson, Behold, thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Now tell me, I pray thee, wherewith thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If they bind me fast with new ropes that never were occupied, then shall I be weak and be as another man? You see, again he's playing with he's kidding her along, and notice they try this out, and so what happened was they bound him when he was asleep, and she gave the cry again, and he broke them off his arms just like they were thread, these new ropes. Now Delilah, she's really exasperated, frustrated with her boyfriend. And Delilah said unto Samson, Hitherto thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Tell me wherewith thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If thou weavest the seven locks of my head with the web. And now he's beginning to weaken May I say to you, friends, this is the beginning of the end of the man. He begins now to weaken. And she fastened it with the pen and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. He waked out of his sleep, went away with the pen of the beam and with the web. He picked the whole thing up. Well, he's weakening because he's mentioning now his hair, you see. And she said unto him, verse 15 of chapter 16, How canst thou say I love thee, when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times, and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lie. And it came to pass, when she pressed him daily with her words, and urged him, so that his soul was vexed unto death, that he told her all his heart, and said unto her, Thou hath not come a razor upon mine head. For I've been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I'll become weak and be like other men. Now, actually, the strength is not in the hair, friends. That's the badge of a Nazarite vow. And the strength was when the Spirit of God came upon him. Now, Delilah saw that he's really a fool, and he was a fool to tell her. Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he told her all his heart. She sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand, and she made him sleep upon her knees. She called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. She began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. This man's weak now. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And here's the tragic verse in the life of Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. Listen, And he wist not, he knew not, that the Lord was departed from him. Friends, the strength was not in the hair, the strength was in the spirit of of the Lord God that was upon him. Strength today, there's no spiritual strength in ceremonies and rituals today. Friends, the strength of a believer is always in the Spirit of God, always. And this man now, called a judge, called to deliver his people, a carnal judge. And now Ichabod, the glorious departed, is written over his life. He didn't know that the Spirit of God had now left him. You see, he never raised an army. He never won a battle. He never rallied the people. And what happened to him? Well, his strength is now gone. Sex is what ruined this man. Now we are told, and the Philistines took him, put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, bound him with fetters of brass, He did grind in the prison house. Howbeit, the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice. And then you have the tragic end of this man. He delivers himself, but he doesn't deliver his people. Always himself. His hair began to grow. And this man certainly has now become a very repentant man. And they bring him into the temple to make sport of him. And the house was full of men and women. We're told in verse 27 now, chapter 16, and there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women. This was that temple that was there of Dagon, their God, that beheld while Samson made sport. They just made a fool of him. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson, you know, was brought up there, he was blind where the two pillars that held up the temple were. Samson took hold of to the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up of the one with his right hand the other with his left. Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. The house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Then his brethren and all the house of his fathers came down, took him up and brought him up and buried him between Zorah And Eshterol, in the burying place of Manoah, his father, he judged Israel twenty years. But he failed. He shall begin to deliver Israel. And he went out and he didn't know that the Spirit of God had departed from him. Now, there is a comparison between Samson and the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be surprised. Listen to it. The birth of both was foretold by an angel. And he was separated to God. He was a Nazarite, and he went in the power of the Spirit of God. It can be said of both, the Lord Jesus and Samson. He was rejected by his people, Samson was, and so was the Lord Jesus. And he destroyed his enemies in his death. But notice there is a contrast, by the way, between them, and that's the thing to note. The prince of this world cometh and findeth nothing in me, the Lord Jesus said. He found plenty in that Samson, didn't he? And his weakness was women. That's destroyed many a man. And now we see that Christ on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Samson says, avenge me. Christ's arms were outstretched in love on the cross and Samson's arms were outstretched in hatred and revenge against the Philistines. And then, friends, Christ lives today. Samson died. The lesson for you and me is the Spirit of God will never leave a Christian. It's true, but you can grieve him, so you're powerless. And there came a time when the Spirit no longer will strive with men. He said that in the days of Noah. And that could be true in the life of a believer today. But if you're indwelt by the Spirit of God in God's man, may I say how tragic it is to live a life without the power of the Spirit of God. Now, as we come here to the 17th chapter, and from chapter 17 through 21, we have here the philosophy of history that we mentioned at the very beginning. We've seen it illustrated in this book, in the hoop of history, that rolls down through time, and it started off with the nation Israel in the place of blessing. Then they began a departure from God. We put that in a chart in our notes on Judges, and we hope that you have those. And the nation is serving God. Then they did evil. They forsook God. They followed their own way. They were sold into slavery, and in their slavery and servitude, they cried out to God. Then they turned to God and repented, and God raised up judges, delivered them. Then they came back to the place of blessing of a nation serving God, and oh, oh, here they go again, and they began to do evil and turn from God. Now, that gives us this philosophy of history, that every nation that goes down, goes down in this order. There is, first, religious apostasy. Second, there is moral awfulness. And third, there is political anarchy. It begins in the temple, then the home, then the state. That's the way a nation goes down. Now, in chapters 17 and 18, we see religious apostasy, the temple. And this is quite interesting, and I'm going to more or less tell the story through here, and I urge you to read it for your own benefit, but we do need to conserve some time as we go along, and this is a good place to do it, and we can make the point here that the writer has in mind. Now, we read in verse 1 of chapter 17 of Judges, And there was a man of Mount Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And he said unto his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursest and speakest of also in mine ears, behold the silvers with me, I took it, And his mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. Now, here is an example of a spoiled brat. Micah is a son of a mother that has spoiled him. He's mama's boy. And when he saw that she was saving up this money, why, he decided to steal it. And then he took it, and it must have bothered him. Then he told her what he had done. Instead of her turning him across her knee and applying the board of education to the seat of knowledge, well, she congratulated him. She said, Blessed be thou the Lord, my son. And when he had restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, Now notice, they've gone off into idolatry. I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand for my son to make a graven image and a molten image Now, therefore, I will restore it unto thee. And then she turns around and gives it to him to make an image. And she said she dedicated it unto the Lord. You know, there are a lot of Christians today that are just that inconsistent. She said, I'm dedicating it to the Lord, but we're making an idol using it for that. And I find a great many Christians, I've been rather amused at some of these youth groups. You know, they take up an offering and they say it's for the Lord, and then they use most of it for the social on Friday night that they all can enjoy. Dedicated to the Lord, but actually dedicated to the God of pleasure, to hedonism, if you please. Not to God at all. And that's what you have here. Now, what happened was, this man Micah, with that money, was apparently able to not only make one molten image, but we're told in verse 5, And the man Micah had a house of gods, that is, of images, and made an effort, and teraphim, and consecrated one of his sons, who became his priests. Now notice, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, this is the place they've come to, and that'll be repeated several times. In fact, the last verse of this book. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. Now, we find that this man, Micah, had a son. It's all a family affair, and I guess that bothered him a little. But this is what happened. Verse 7 now of Judges 17. That was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed out of the city from Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn where he could find a place. And he came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah, as he journeyed. Now, he is an itinerant preacher, by the way. And Micah said unto him, Whence comest thou? And he said unto him, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem Judah, and I go to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said unto him, Dwell with me, and be unto me a father and a priest, and I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year, and a suit of apparel, and thy vittles, room and board. So the Levite went in. Now, this is a hired preacher, if you please. Here's the hired preacher that is the messenger boy of a board or of a little group. God have mercy on a church that has that kind of a preacher. And so here is this Levite here just has become now a priest, but he's got a house full of idols. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man. And the young man was unto him as one of his sons. So the Levite, you know, sort of took the boy in. But he didn't condemn his idolatry. And Micah consecrated the Levite. The young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Then said Micah, Now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. Now, this is certainly a revelation of the low spiritual ebb that the nation had sunk to. Here is a man that thinks if he just has a Levite, an ordained preacher, that that's all that he needs. How tragic it is. And yet this man expects the blessing of God upon him. And how many are like that today? Now, in another one of the tribes, this was Ephraim, in the tribe of Dan, which was way in the north, chapter 18, verse 1, begins like this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. You see, this was a time of utter confusion, no leadership. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites... "...sought them an inheritance to dwell in, for unto that day all their inheritance had not fallen unto them among the tribes of Israel." And you'll recall that in the book of Joshua, that none of these tribes got all the land that was coming to them. And that certainly was true of the tribe of Dan way in the north. They had a real problem. And you will remember, they took to the hills... "...and the children of Dan sent of their family five men from their coast, men of valour, from Zorah, from Eshtal, to spy out the land and to search it. And they said unto them, Go search the land, who when they came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah, they lodged there." Now these men went to see what territory that the tribe of Dan could take to extend and expand their borders in their own tribe. But in their travels... They came to the house of Micah. Verse 3. And when they were by the house of Micah, they knew the voice of the young man, the Levite. He sounded like a preacher. And they turned in thither and said unto him, Who brought thee hither? And what makest thou in this place? And what hast thou here? And he said unto them, Thus and thus dealeth Micah with me, and hath hired me, and I'm his priest. He's a hired preacher. God have mercy on the church when it has a hired preacher that is nothing in the world but a messenger boy to do what a little group wants him to do and does not do what God has called him to do. That is, preach and teach the Word of God without fear, without favoritism, and without compromise. Now, this boy here has really compromised, and this is a period of compromise, corruption, and confusion. And that is the thing that marks apostasy any time. We today are in an apostasy. The church is in a position of compromise, corruption, and confusion. And that is the problem. Not coming back to its authority today, which is the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who's revealed in the Word of God. Now, will you notice these men from Dan, they said, Oh, my, well, here's a priest right here, and we'll speak to him. They said unto him, Ask counsel, we pray thee of God, that we may know whether our way which we go shall be prosperous. And the priest said unto them, Go in peace. Before the Lord is your way wherein ye go. And my, this is the sweet talk of a hired preacher. Uh, saying things that the people want to hear, having itching ears. He wants to hear some compliment, and they want to hear something nice and easy and soft and sweet. And so we have the sweet talk of the hired preacher here. And these five men left. They thought this was great. And verse 10, "...when ye go ye shall come unto a people secure, to a large land, for God hath given it into your hands." a place where there is no want of anything that is in the earth. And the very interesting thing, why these men went to spy out the land, and what happened? Well, did they enlarge their land? Yes, but what happened? Verse 30, "...and the children of Dan set up the graven image, and Jonathan the son of Gershom the son of Manasseh, He and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. Now, who is Jonathan? He happens to be the grandson of Moses. Now, here is real apostasy. Friends, you couldn't have it any worse than it is right here. This is apostasy from the days of Moses now to his grandson who is priest and has an idol. They've gone a long ways from God. Moses had said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any likeness. And here the grandson now is priest of an idol. This is tragic. I wonder if I may say this on the network, and I think it will be all right to say it. I was shocked when I began to study for the ministry and began to learn a few things about the church. I was not brought up in the church. And as a result, it was a new world and a new life for me when I began to study for the ministry and found out some things. I had always thought of Dwight L. Moody as being way up there, a real saint of God. And he was, by the way. And then a man who knew him and who knew his family, he said, you know, that one of his sons is in the most liberal organization that's in this country in that day. He was in the old Federal Council of Churches and had an office in that. I said, you don't mean that a son of Dwight L. Moody? He said, yes, that's right. And do you know, I never had anything that hurt me as that did as a young man studying for the ministry. I just couldn't understand how a son of a man like Moody could depart from the gospel of Jesus Christ and the integrity and inerrancy of the Word of God. May I say to you, friends, that apostasy is an awful thing, and the problem with any nation begins always in this matter of religious apostasy. This is what has happened now. And you'll notice that it moves on to the second stage. And that second stage is an awful stage, moral awfulness. And we have that story now in chapter 19. And it concerns, actually, the tribe of Benjamin, And I'm not going to go into a great deal of detail here, but just to look at something that I think is very important. Chapter 19, verse 1, And it came to pass in those days, when there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim, who took to him a concubine out of Bethlehem, Judah. Now, we have another insight into the life of the people of that day. And this is a good illustration of Romans 1 through 3, by the way. And his concubine played the harlot against him, went away from him unto her father's house to Bethlehem, Judah, and was there four whole months. Now, imagine this Levite marrying a woman like that. And she leaves him and goes back to her father's house, plays a harlot. And he went after her, and he took her with him. And as he journeyed, they came into the borders of the tribe of Dan. And they were entertained in a home among the Jebusites. And they were of the tribe of Benjamin at that time that were living in Jebus. And what happened was that when they were being entertained, why, the man of the town came in, and they apparently knew something of her reputation to begin with. And what happened was that they, of course, broke in. They absolutely killed her. They apparently raped her and then killed her. Sounds like something that's happening in our country today, does it not? And by the way, the parallel is quite striking as you go through this section, and then what happened was that they killed her, and then they left. And this man, this Levite, was really wrought up. And you know what he did? This reveals how low they were in that day. He took her and cut her up in pieces and sent a piece to each tribe with a message of what it was and what had happened to him. And you know, it caused all the tribes to be insane. They believed the law should be enforced. They haven't sunk down quite as far as we have today, where lawlessness is permitted. And unfortunately, of course, it's made a political football, but also there is a tendency today to, well, we want as little law as possible. And so all the tribes assembled together and they came against the tribe of Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin tried to defend themselves, but they had a tremendous army, apparently. Verse 16 of chapter 20 says this Among all this people, there were 700 chosen men, left-handed, southpaws. Everyone could sling stones at a hairbreadth and not miss. Now, uh, a great many people think it's miraculous that David was able to hit Goliath right in the eye. I heard a liberal talk about that for 15 minutes, that he couldn't have been that accurate. Well, read this verse here. They were as accurate in that day as they are today with the missiles, by the way. They had to be much closer, but if they could get in the range of uh, slingshot. Why, it would be fatal for anyone. These men could split a hair, these left-handed men. And when you come to David, you'll find out. And you remember David took five stones. And by the way, I heard that same liberal say that he thought if he messed with one, he'd use the other. That wasn't it at all. You know why he took five stones? Well, if you read the record very carefully, you'll find out old Goliath had four sons They were sitting over there in the army of the Philistines, and David had a stone for each one of them. David didn't need but one stone for Goliath. He knew how accurate he was, and he knew how he could use it. But they were overcome by sheer numbers, and actually the tribe of Benjamin was almost destroyed. We're told in verse 44 of chapter 20, "...and there fell a Benjamin..." 18,000 men, all these were men of valor. Why? Because of the gross immorality that they had sunk to. And we're told in verse 46, "...so that all which fell that day of Benjamin were twenty, and five thousand men that drew the sword, all these were men of valor." How tragic it was. This is the favorite tribe, Benjamin, The young son of old Jacob and the favorite, the one that Judah was willing to lay down his life for, and they occupied a place right next to Judah, but this gross immorality that has taken place, and it's set tribe against tribe, class against class, and what has happened now? Well, it leads to political anarchy. The steps are outlined here very clearly. There was first religious apostasy, way up under with Micah's image, Micah's idol. And then it ushered in moral awfulness. It reaches from the temple to the home, and then political anarchy. Those are the steps that any nation takes that goes down. I have a statement in a little book of mine. America needs a declaration of dependence, not independence, but dependence. And of course, that is on God. I took out of the Wall Street Journal way back in 1928. The clipping actually was sent to me. And it states there that what America needed in the Depression at that time was not some economic arrangement or political move, but needed to return to the days when grandfather thought it was good business to take the team out of the field early on Wednesday evening so that the team could be hitched up to the wagon in which grandma put the children with their scrub faces, and they all went off to the little church down at the crossroads for prayer meeting on Wednesday night And they thought it was good business even in the time of harvest. That was something said by that Wall Street Journal. May I say to you, if that was true then, certainly true today. Where did our trouble begin? Our trouble is primarily spiritual, goes back. Actually, it goes back to the church. The church went into apostasy. Then it's entered the home And we talk about the drug problem. We talk about the generation gap. Then it's moved up into political anarchy today. And we hear so much about if we could just change this and put this party in. And my friend, all of that is perfect nonsense that we're hearing on television in these days. What we need today is to get back to our spiritual foundation. That's where our trouble began, and that's where we went off the track. God have mercy on America today. May I say to you, this happens to be the philosophy of history. The hoop of history is still rolling, and I'm disturbed because it's never changed. And we are today in the midst of political anarchy.